Just a quick reminder before we jump in today's episode that The Nugget is now on YouTube. We've picked out some of our favorite moments from the podcast and turned them into four to eight minute long videos. Now you can see some of the best clips from the podcast with never before seen video content. I'm really, really excited about this. I think it's gonna be super cool. And we're doing a raffle. Since we just launched for the month of February, we're doing a raffle with some of our favorite brands who support the Nugget, and we're giving away a free training bundle worth more than $300 to one of you. It's super simple to enter the raffle. It's free and there are no strings attached. All you have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel and you will automatically be entered to win a free kilo of chalk along with a logo brush and skin sander from Chalk Cartel, a free hangboard from Frictitious Climbing that retails for $150, or you can get a free gift card for Frictitious if you want some of their other products, and you'll win some of my favorite skincare products from Rhino Skin Solutions so you can keep your skin in tip-top shape for your training and rock climbing. Once again, it's free to enter the raffle. All you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's as simple as that, and you can do it right now. I bet it will take you less than 10 seconds. Just scroll down on your podcast app, and click on the link right there that will take you over to our YouTube channel and tap that subscribe button. The deadline is February 28th, so 23 days remaining. But do it now while you've got your phone on you and while you're thinking about it. All right, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I discovered these guys a couple years ago, and I've been using their chalk ever since. Here's the deal, chalk matters and you owe it to yourself to get the good stuff. Luckily with Chalk Cartel, you can get the best stuff on the market without breaking the bank. Chalk Cartel sources the highest quality, high content magnesium carbonate you can buy. No fillers, no impurities, and no bogus proprietary claims. This stuff has been independently tested in a lab side by side other top brands and it's exactly the same stuff, or better. They also use eco-friendly packaging because they care about the environment. So if you need a fix, head over to Chalk Cartel and enter code NUGGET at checkout. You'll get 20% off your next purchase of pure, uncut, high-performance climbing chalk. That's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET for 20% off excellent climbing chalk. Chalk Cartel. Great chalk, no bullshit. This episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some Athletic Greens this morning. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine, and I've come to look forward to it almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which I'm totally addicted to, which is saying a lot. It's super refreshing. I love the flavor. There's some apple and pear extract in there along with a little stevia to make it delicious but not too sweet, and I really enjoy it. And most importantly, I feel better when I drink it. Why do I take Athletic Greens beside it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it's hard to eat perfectly all the time. I live in a van, I travel all the time, some of the places I climb are out in the middle of nowhere, and it's hard to find good produce. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. The thing I love about Athletic Greens is if I take my one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered, and that gives me a tremendous amount 
amount of mental freedom throughout the rest of the day. If you want to try it out and see what the fuss is all about, Athletic Greens is going to give you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Kaleb Robinson, spelled C-A-L-E-B, but pronounced Kaleb. And Kaleb is one hell of a rock climber. This guy used to be a competitive soccer player. He played competitive soccer for about 16 years and then transitioned to climbing. He started climbing at age 17 and sent his first V13 just four years into his climbing, which is amazing. I've been climbing for 15 years and V13 is still a huge goal of mine and something I'm still working towards. So I was really excited to talk to Kaleb and this turned out to be such a good interview. I loved talking to him. Kaleb is a really thoughtful guy, super analytical. He brings a very athletic approach to his climbing and training. And we talked about the lessons that he took with him from soccer and how those have influenced his climbing. We talked about how deadlifting fixed his lower back pain and how that fits into his current training. We talked about his finger training journey. That was something I was really interested in. He's a really muscular guy and heavier than some of the pro climbers I've talked to just because he is so muscular. So I was really interested to hear how he's gotten his fingers so strong in just four or five years of climbing. And there were definitely some big takeaways for me, some good reminders for me about consistency and simplicity and the importance of just sticking with something over the long term. And we talked a little bit about his photography towards the end of this conversation. Kaleb is an incredible photographer, not a climbing photographer. He focuses on lifestyle portraits and landscapes and things like that. He has an Instagram page just for his photography that I will link to in the show notes for this episode that you should definitely check out. And it was really fun to hear about finding his artistic expression through photography and how he balances that with being an athlete. He definitely has a very similar approach to his craft of photography and improving himself as a climber. And I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, loved this conversation, really enjoyed talking to Kaleb, and I think you guys are gonna like this one as well. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Kaleb Robinson. Kaleb, good to see you again. Welcome to the show. Likewise. You're my first interview of 2023. Yeah, <laughs> you just gave me a fist pump for people listening. <laughs> um, what does a Thursday in the life of Kaleb Robinson look like? I want to start with that. And then I'm curious if you have goal setting. You know, that's a thing that everyone talks about this time of year. And I'm curious if that's something you think about. But we're talking in the evening, which is rare for me. I usually record these in the morning. So what did you do today? What's a Thursday look like for you? Uh, my Thursday, nothing special. I uh, woke up 
get out of bed, make breakfast, make coffee, um, then leave to work, go to work. I was route setting down at Sandy today. So I was there from like 8.30-ish till we had a small session. I think we got out at like 3. I um, was route setting during my lunch break, went to a coffee shop, got some work done, just responding to like emails and trying to keep track of my other side hobbies and hustles and businesses that I have going. Um, and then, yeah, came home. I knew that I had this later tonight, so I didn't really overload myself with too much to do this evening. And I've also been feeling just like a little tired. So just sat with my partner, we watched some TV and now I'm pretty much doing this actually super, very simple day. Nice. Um, yeah. Nothing too complicated. Nice. You're based in Salt Lake city these days. I am. Yeah. I've been here for about a year and a half. Do you have any goals for 2023? Is that something that you, like, how, how do you approach the new year? I'm always fascinated by this because I think resolutions are totally overblown because they never work. But at the same time, <laughs> I've kind of given myself the last couple of years um, a holiday break from the podcast, you know, like two weeks off of putting out new episodes. And I did that again this year. I just um, put out a, a repost and an interview featuring me. Um, which was easier than my normal stuff. And, you know, it's just so nice to have that space to kind of chill. But then with that, I always end up thinking about what I want to do differently next year. It's just such a natural transition time, you know? Um, yeah. Do you have, yeah, have, do you have any goals for 2023? Does this feel like a, a shift or a new chapter for you in any way? Or is it just another another Thursday, another week? And I think most every way it's another week just another Thursday. Um, I would say like my general, I think the way that I generally frame life is like, I don't, I've, I've never really viewed the new year as just like, Oh, this is like the end of this stuff and the beginning of this stuff. It's more so like I try and just have the habits and things that I'm doing. And I like try and just work on those things for over a long period of time. So it's like, Hey, I was actually having a conversation with someone about resolutions earlier I was like, I don't really have any resolutions because I feel like everything that I want to be doing, I've already started implementing in my life. So it's kind of just continuing to do the same things I've been doing for the last year, two years, three years. Um, and I think a lot of anything that you could call a resolution, like those seeds have been planted for quite a long time now. So it's not like at the turn of the year, I like come up with something new that's like, this thing's going to change my life. Mm. It's kind of just like continuing to build on the habits that I've already set in place for myself. That said, though, like I think every year, like life has natural cycles of growth. And it's like if at the end of 2023, I was in the same place that I'm at in 2022, I'd maybe be a little disappointed with certain things, whether that's like climbing or photography or other things. Just it's like I think most humans want to see progress over time. So it's like, yeah, you want to see progression, but I don't generally frame that under the word resolution, I mm -hmm. suppose. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, you definitely just planted some seeds for this conversation by sharing all that. And I'm sure uh, that's something that we're going to talk about a lot later in the conversation. The consistency that you have, that's something I'm really impressed with when it comes to your approach to climbing and photography, actually, this long view that you have and how you seem to be like you said, just collecting better habits. And um, it seems like you don't put too much pressure on 
making huge progress right this second and you're focused on just building a better lifestyle that leads you where you want to go, which which I really resonate with. That's kind of um, my personality as well. And I'd love to, um, yeah, to dig into that stuff with you yeah. as the conversation unfolds. I do think we should take a few steps back though. I, I want to get to know you a little bit. I want my listeners to get to know you. And I'm also very curious I'll just first share how I how I um, came across you and became interested and 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 reached why I reached out to you for this conversation. I don't know how I first stumbled into you, but I think I found you on Instagram and started following you. I um I think I found your climbing or your your normal profile featuring your climbing and your photography around the same time, maybe through Tyler Rizzuto. Um, he's a buddy of mine, and we've done some you know collaborations for the yeah, Nugget yeah. and stuff. And and I saw some photos of him, and I was like, damn, this is really cool artistic photographic you know photo photography style um who is this guy who's who's this Caleb guy and then checked out your climbing profile and your crushing v13 and i think it was kind of serendipitous like right around that time the mountain hardware video discover came out and i watched that and there was a i mean i was it was very fun to to see that and to kind of get to know you a little bit through that and there was one line in there that just blew me away and i was like i have to talk to this guy i'm fascinated and it was when you know you're in red rock with io and you go to check out the nest which for people listening is this uh, really beautiful v15 that's that's quite famous in red rock and you're talking about how it came on your radar and and planning to try it and i think you said something along the lines of like yeah, you know, the nest has just been on my radar since around when i started climbing 3 years ago and i was like what the f- Fuck, this guy started climbing like three years ago. I think it was, and well, he's, I think I said maybe like four or five years. Okay. But I don't remember exactly what the time I said, but yeah. I'm yeah. Only, I was climbing. I started climbing when I was uh, like 17, 17 and a half. And I'm now, I turned 22 in the summer. Okay. So, okay. so now it's been about five years, but we made the film like way earlier in 2022. Okay. Got it. I mean, yeah, nonetheless, man, that is, you're on a, you, you seem to be on a rocket ship. That's amazing progress. I know you've climbed some V13s, um, or at least one. I'm, I'm not sure you can tell me more about your resume, but that's how I first became interested in you. I'm like, wow, this guy has gotten so good at climbing so quickly. Um, I'm excited to dig into that and just hear how you think about climbing and, and what you've learned progressing so quickly and maybe some of the some of those lessons that have come through that but then getting to know you a little bit we had a pre-interview about a month ago um it was fun to learn that you started with soccer and that for about 16 years you played soccer very competitively and that made me even more curious because it's just so refreshing and interesting to have that kind of outsider perspective on the sport of climbing you know climbers in a, in a lot of ways were almost reinventing the wheel and you know coming from this kind of countercultural background and people just kind of winging it with their training climbing you know climbing outside on rock trying hard hanging on door jams and keeping things really simple um, i have to assume that you've learned some lessons from soccer that you've been able to carry with you into climbing so that's that's some stuff i'm really excited to explore with you as well yeah so. um yeah it's i mean we can definitely if you want me to say more just about myself, we can do some introduction introduction stuff. Um, but I would for sure say that, yeah, soccer has informed my frame and perspective on my climbing career and how I train and how I 
I don't know, try and grow as an athlete, like a hundred percent. It's, it built my like perspective of what an athlete is and how to like structure my life around athletics. Yeah. No, that reminds me, man. I, (laughs) I think I started following you on Instagram this summer and I had a training block in Estes Park and I've shared some of this stuff on Instagram, but um, I had a deadlifting phase for the first time in a few years. And, you know, people that are listening to this will probably know my story. I used to be a sport climber at Smith Rock. I was super skinny. I, you know, starved myself for a bunch of years to try to fit into that box of what I thought a sport climber was supposed to look like. Now I carry a lot more muscle. I feel a lot better. I feel a lot healthier. And I'm getting back to... um to that same level of climbing, but in totally different styles and burly climbing. And it's been quite a few years since I deadlifted and I had this awesome summer of deadlifting. And uh, I think my previous best was like 340 or something before the summer. And I ramped up and and pulled 405 um, at the end of my training block, which was, you know, a a funny, thank you, a funny little uh, life goal for me. But I think right after that, you popped up on my Instagram and you were just like repping out 405 or more than that. And I was just like, damn, <laughs> this guy's strong as fuck. Where did he come from? So um, so it's fun. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into the, that stuff because you you look like an athlete. You look like a well-rounded athlete and not the, you know, the 90s stereotypical rock climber, which is always fun to see. So actually a perfect point. And I'm glad that you brought that up because deadlifting is like directly related to my history as a soccer player. Hmm. Um, I'll explain it. Uh, when I was playing soccer in high school, over like a three to four year period, I pulled my back like probably three or four, maybe three to five times pretty seriously, just to the point of like for a week or two weeks, like I could barely walk or run and just like kind of would like take myself out onto the sideline. And it wasn't always maybe three, uh, like one to two weeks, but like I definitely had like reoccurring back pain. And obviously I was young and in high school and like, you just bounce back, you know, it's like, oh, I was injured and now I'm not. And then you, you know, you start running again. Um, but now that I'm a little bit older, I like have the repercussions of not taking care of my lower back. And I just have like, I used to just get like really bad lower back pain after long work days, whether that was like route setting or I was just like on my feet. And I was like, I just like got to do something about my lower back because I'm 21 or 20, however old I was. And I'm like, I can't have this bad of back pain already. Like, this is insane. Um, so yeah, like deadlifting was kind of like one of my, part of my solution to that was just like, all right, I need to like do exercises that are actually going to strengthen my lower back. Um, so yeah, I spent like a summer, summer and a half. Um, I mean, no, more like a year probably of like working up my deadlifting routine. Um, and yeah, eventually it was like lifting four or five or whatever. Um, and I finally like felt like I was like, okay, I'm like actually giving my back the proper uh, care that needs to recover from my injury as a soccer player, but also just to like strengthen my whole posterior chain now as a climber. Um, so yeah, I kind of went like hand in hand of like fix what I'm the mistakes I made in the past. And also it has some like transferability to um, climbing, which was super cool. I love that, man. That's awesome to hear. And I, I would hope that people listening are, you know, wouldn't be surprised by that story at this point, because that's something that has been talked about more and more, you know, from people like Natasha Barnes. And um, I think it's just becoming more widely known that if you have some chronic pain or injury, strengthening it in a controlled and thoughtful way is an amazing way to to make it go away. 
Um, but I'm, I don't know. I'm still surprised at how many people are afraid of, of deadlifting. And it's like, no, if you do it right, it'll fix the very thing that you're afraid of or nervous about, you know, it's, it's for awesome sure. for that. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. that's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah. I was, I was also super, um, lucky, I, I suppose, uh, just because when I was playing soccer in, in high school, I had taken a couple different, like weightlifting courses at my school. So I felt like I had the proper knowledge and I, I was, a lot of people in my family are, have lifted weights or like have, know their way around the gym. Uh, so I had proper understanding of technique because I would say like, I think a lot of people are scared to just jump into something like deadlifting because you can seriously injure yourself if you <laughs> do it poorly, uh, which is a real fear. It's like you should be really terrified of blowing yeah, out your back. Definitely respect it for sure. Pounds, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like really grateful that I had the knowledge to kind of take that into my own hands. Um, but I would also say it's like, it's very easy to acquire that knowledge. You can do lots of YouTube searches and grab a like coach somewhere for fairly cheap that can show you how to deadlift without hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Um, let's, let's save training talk for just a little bit. I do want to cover more of your origin story before we kind of make our way towards um, how you got into climbing and and how you've implemented some of those lessons from soccer into your climbing. You played soccer for 16 years. What made you what made you quit? Was it just the natural transition of, of life and not wanting to pursue the the pro level or what was it? Um it was a it was a strange combination of a few things. Um but yeah before I, I talk about like why I stopped, I, I feel like it's just, it's like very fair to mention, like I was enamored by the sport of soccer and in most every way I miss it mm. like constantly. Um, like I've told my partner, like I'll drive by a soccer field and just like see kids running around with a soccer ball and be like, oh my gosh, I like miss this so much. Um, and I think a lot of it's like the team camaraderie too, uh, which was super cool about soccer. But yeah, like growing up, I was from the age of like three or four, I pretty much had a ball at my feet like every single day of the year. I would go in the backyard and my brothers played soccer too. And my most people, most of the men in my family had played soccer. And, you know, we would just like be have a ball at our feet all the time playing constantly. And I loved the sport and was fairly good at it. Um, I, by the time I was in high school, like right before I stopped, I was, you know, planning on playing college. I was getting scouted by D3, D2, one or two like D1 schools. Um, so like I was on the right track to kind of continue my soccer journey. And I think after like visiting some colleges and just like seeing part of like the level of play, part of just like what the, how the teams actually functioned and also just like how ramped up, like in terms of like time consuming the sport would become. It's like, I don't know if this is actually... Like in, in theory, this is what I want. But when I look like my personality, I, I think I was like, I don't know if this is how I want the next four to five to maybe 10 years of my life to mm. look like just being like, you wake up, you go to practice, you go to school, you take your lunch break, you go to practice, you do homework, you go to practice. Right. And then like everything, you sleep, eat, breathe, do everything for this sport, which is super cool. But I just don't think that I could fully envision myself in that atmosphere. Um, so yeah, after like a long time of thinking, 
I was just like, I don't, I think I'm going to step away from the sport. Um, and then I did. And shortly after I found climbing, uh, well, I shouldn't say found climbing. Um, I knew climbing existed and was already psyched on it. Um, but found my way into the sport more full time. Mm. I do think that's such a common and kind of unfortunate story in a way, looking at all these other sports, um, especially the sports that we, you know, are introduced to in schools, on teams and things like that. There's kind of no middle ground, you know, like if you want to pursue soccer, if you're Kaleb and you're really good and you want to pursue soccer, you either have to do what you're just describing and make your entire life about it and take it to the next level and pursue college and then, you know, semi-pro, pro, and, and just continue going up that ladder. Or you drop all the way back to just, I don't know, like kicking a soccer ball around with friends or pickup games and yeah. things like that. And there's kind of nothing in between. And especially in America. Mm, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, and that was like America's developmental program in soccer is just like, it's very much set up that way where it's like, it's all in or it's all out. Where like a lot of other countries that arguably have much better soccer teams than us is like their culture around the sport mm -hmm. is so much more, uh, it's like, like to the level where it's like playing with your friends is way more serious. And there's like way more, I think, ways to be involved with that kind of community and different leagues that are targeted to people that aren't necessarily professionals, but are still like, have a very high level of play where America doesn't have as much of that as far as I'm aware. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm just appreciating climbing so much, like hearing you say all that, because I don't think I could, I don't think you could have, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I can't imagine having like a performance soccer podcast in America for non-pro soccer players. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine that soccer players are like, you know, doing skills and, and going to the gym and deadlifting um, three days a week and, and all this other stuff that we do as climbers. And it's, yeah. it's a really special thing to be able to pursue climbing with this kind of um, passion that we're able to and have that look like whatever you want it to look like. You know, if it's you trying to climb the nest in the next year or whatever, or if it's me you know, pursuing my own goals or everyone listening, having their own thing that they're pursuing. It's, it's such a special activity in that way. It's really unique, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and I think that's part of maybe what captured my attention is just how individual of a sport it can be, uh, especially in comparison to soccer. Um, and yeah, I think part of like my reason for leaving soccer was just like, you look at the insanely high level of play and it's like either you're like one of the best people on a roster on a team and you're actually getting consistent playing time in games or you're not, <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you're just on a team practicing, you know, but like not actually showing up and doing any time in games. Mm. And especially with such a developed sport like soccer or football or basketball it's like the level of play at the professional and college level is like insane because yeah. they're pulling from millions and millions of kids that have been playing this sport their whole life um and i think by the time that i realized like how much i needed to improve in order to be at that level level of play it was maybe like a little bit behind the curb of where some other people have been 
and that's partly just like from social economic status or like mm. having the access to coaches and whatnot from a very young age is such a big part of progression in the sport. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that kind of was just like a, a hard thing to come to terms with and face in reality of just like, I think I'm like really good, but I don't know if it's good enough. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, I'm glad I'm glad for you that you found climbing because it seems like, you know, I, I know it's probably not a perfect replacement for soccer, but it seems like it just just hearing how you've talked about it in in that video and talking to you a month ago, seems like it kind of fits that fills that same role for you in a lot of ways. And it, in a lot of ways it does. And in a lot of ways, it's also just totally different, which is super cool. It's like I travel across the country to play like or to climb you know yeah where i don't know like that doesn't happen the same way in a sport like soccer where it's like you don't just go to these beautiful destinations to just sit around and look at it yeah know? go play a soccer game where climbing is like we do that we have this global community where like i could hit up someone that lives in france and be like hey i'm coming to climb mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you mm-hmm. want to climb together and they're like yeah sure let's do it let's go to all these places and be tourists and also, you know, enjoy our sport together, which is like just a very different atmosphere than I think soccer had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay. I, uh, I want to hear how you got hooked on climbing initially. And I have a note in front of me, uh, which is a little bit cryptic. And I, I wrote it that way on purpose because I actually don't remember the story here, but I just have the word uncle and then a little arrow pointing to the right and then karate gym and then a little arrow pointing to the right and then climbing. So um, take me on that journey through your origin story. Well, I should first say that I think it starts with just how most climbers, I think, start. I like, I always envision like you have the professional athlete and then there's like a blip where their parents are like, ever since they were a little kid, they've been climbing on everything. Um, And I feel like that's kind of also true for me. I've just always been drawn to that type of activity of just like climbing stuff and um, just being very physically active. Um, But yeah, my uncle, one of my uncles had a karate studio when I was growing up. And every now and then we would take a field trip to a climbing gym. Um, And this was back, I must have been, this is probably like elementary school ages. Um, Like... I, don't, I actually don't know what elementary school ages are, but I was little. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe up to 10 years old or something. something yeah, like maybe that. up to 10 years old. Um, and yeah, we'd go, this was like before there was any really cool gyms on the East Coast that were close to the Philly area, which is where I grew up. Um, and we, yeah, we went to this old, old climbing gym called the Delaware Rock Gym. And this, they were still like taping all the holds and stuff and like old hold sets, no fiberglass or like volumes or anything like that. But I just remember having like a blast and just like loved it so much. I was like, man, this is like the coolest thing ever. I can just go here and climb stuff and show everyone how strong I thought I was as a (laughs) five-year-old kid, you know? Um, Yeah, there's this like one picture of my brother, I think, trying to climb like a five nine or something back. my, My oldest brother, he's like four years older than me. So if I was like, eight he might have been 12 and i remember thinking like i didn't know what grades meant at that point but i just remember thinking like whoa he can like almost get up this five nine that's crazy you know um and yeah i just like had this all of the 
the sport, I guess, from a young age, but it, it never really caught on. I mean, I guess mainly because it's like there wasn't really any climbing gyms. We had to drive like 45 minutes to go, and it's also expensive. Um, and I also played soccer, which captivated my attention a lot more. Um, so yeah, time when I eventually my uncle's karate studio closed, um, and I kind of just didn't really think about climbing for the next decade, decade and a half to, yeah, um, until I stopped playing soccer. And then I think around the time towards like the middle of high school, maybe a year before I started or stopped playing soccer, I like had some friends that were kind of in the climbing scene a little bit. So I was like seeing them kind of go climbing and that kind of like sparked my interest again. Just like, oh man, I would really love to be a part of this. And at the time I had a brother that was working at a parkour gym. Hmm. Um, and I was also kind of like into parkour at that time, just like, yeah, just like really into movement and doing stuff with my body that I felt like was cool. Um, and yeah, climbing was just like, I was really interested. And as soon as I stopped playing soccer, I was just like, all right, I need to like get into a climbing gym and see if this is the thing that I think it is. <laughs> um, and it turned out that it was hmm. It's like, this is really cool. Um, and yeah, the rest is pretty much history. Can you elaborate on that? What did you think it was? Like, what was this, what was this image in your mind of, of what climbing was at the time? Um, I think in my mind, I thought climbing was something that would suit my physicality fairly well. And just like, I think in a lot of the physical activities I've tried, I've often seen not just like quick progress, but like a deep enjoyment of like, oh man, I would love to be really good at this. I would, and like, uh, uh, understanding of like body awareness and stuff like that where i'm just like oh i can like feel this movement i can feel this motion i want to like explore this type of this activity more um and yeah climbing was i guess that in that sense of just like this is a physical activity that i feel like i can adapt my body to really well mm. Okay. Um, we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit between soccer and climbing and then kind of, you know, try to try, try to bring them together here. When you look back at your soccer career, so many years of so much dedication and time in that sport, having coaches, having a team, having teammates, what are some of the greatest lessons that soccer taught you? Um, the greatest lessons. I think the, one of the biggest lessons and this is also one of my biggest regrets is that hard work pays off like the hard work that you don't want to do pays <laughs> off um, and mm. i think part of my soccer journey and i say this as it's one of my biggest regrets is like i didn't take that seriously enough up until the point where it was just a little bit too late and just being like i wish i forced myself to run more <laughs> i wish i forced myself to be a better athlete and just like so i could perform better when it counted um and that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from my soccer career is just like for if if i from the like beginning when i was a little kid like put my head down a little bit more of just like okay i know that being a good soccer player requires like footwork and understanding of the sport but it also just requires fitness. Like you look at some of the mileage that soccer players are clocking on the field. Some of them are clocking 12 plus miles, 15 miles a game. That's like more than a half marathon, you know? Jesus, yeah. Not all the time, but sometimes, you know, yeah. it's like they have to be fit and they're like, 
they do that fitness on their own <laughs> a lot of the times. Like they're expected to come to practice with that fitness. Practice mm. is coach telling them you need to go run so you're more fit. Once you're at that high of a level, that's just a given. You just show up to practice and everyone expects you to be able to endure 90 minutes on the field and sprint to the very last minute, you know? Um, and that just takes hard work and dedication. Mm. Um, and I think the second, if I had to say a second lesson, my second lesson from my years as a soccer player is that intelligence is just as important as physical prowess. And I think that also directly translates to climbing. It's like, you have to be a smart player as well as a fit player, as well as a talented player. If you want to be successful, mm. you can't just have one or the other. And it's the same with climbing. It's like, you have to be an intelligent climber. You have to be a mentally, mentally focused climber. You have to have good technique and you have to be strong. You can't like give or take and expect to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing, amazing answers, man. And this is perfect. I would love to talk more about how each of those lessons have played into your approach to climbing. Um, the first one, let's talk about that one first. So hard work pays off. Love that. Um, and, and like I said, at the start of the conversation, part of the reason why I was excited to talk to you and had that moment where I was like, I got to talk to this guy is because you've gotten so good so quickly at the same time, I kind of have to check myself and be careful because as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I have this really strong tendency to always be a sucker for a silver bullet and to be looking for shortcuts, which don't really exist, right? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of carrying that or trying to hold that as I enter into this conversation with you because climbing's so interesting. Like hard work pays off, showing up and putting in the work um, early on obviously is you know, is a huge part of why you've, why you've gotten so good so quickly. At the same time, it's so different from everything else that we do as athletes who weren't exposed to climbing early, earlier in life for most of us, like unless you were a gymnast or I don't know, did grip sports or something as a kid, like the fingers just take so long to catch up. Right. And hard work is great, but you, to some extent, um, you can't really rush that too much. And I've, I think yeah. I think people more often do themselves a disservice by trying to push the gas pedal too hard early on in their climbing when it comes to like finger training in particular and getting the the yeah. connective tissue, um, the tendons, the pulleys, all those sorts of things caught up to everything else. Because you know you're you were like a what seventeen or eighteen year old kid you said when you started, mm-hmm. right? So you're already muscular, you're already strong, you're already deadlifting pretty well. Heavy. Yeah. And I had soccer legs. You had was, soccer legs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when I was like a sophomore in high school, I was squatting like high 300 pounds. Damn. Like maybe 100 pounds or something. Like my, I, I tell this story quite often when I eventually had patella tendonitis um, on my kneecaps or knees and I had to get therapy for it. And my therapist would call me quadzilla because, because I had patella tendonitis because my quads were like ridiculously strong and my hamstrings were weak compared to the strength of my quads. So I was just like horribly imbalanced. But yeah, like my legs were thick. I had I had thighs and I still do. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Do they serve you in your climbing, you think? Um, my hamstrings are definitely stronger now for sure. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, but and I mean, I'm good at jumping. Uh, that's for sure. Like, I definitely have leg power. I feel like that's more of a comp thing that doesn't apply to most of the climbing I do. But 
it definitely comes to advantages in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Totally. If you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like what you said? No, I said totally. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think so. Um, I didn't mean to cut you, cut you off there. You can totally elaborate on that if you if you had something that came to mind. Oh, I was just it, like it helps, and I think I have like a type of connection between my upper body and my lower body where like the engagement of just certain muscles I feel like comes a little bit more naturally to me, and it helps with certain types of tension, um, whether that's like drop knees or just like heel hooking and stuff like that. I think it can help, but. It has its pros and its cons. It's mm-hmm. also heavy, which I don't. I don't advocate for just like losing weight just so you can, you know, have a better strength to weight ratio. But it also certainly does play a part. It also doesn't. Maybe it's maybe not optimal to it, be quadzilla as a rock climber. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Not. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Okay, so that lesson, that that big lesson that you learned from soccer, the hard work pays off. How do you think about that? with your climbing and how has that evolved in your, in your climbing life so far? Yeah, I think it's kind of been an undertone since the very beginning, mainly because I started climbing right after quitting my lifelong sport. And I think carried over some feelings of being like, I I don't think I ever felt like I was a failure. I think I made the best decisions for myself that I could have made at the time, but I think, think I felt like I let myself down and just like I wanted to do better than I actually could have done at the given moment. And I didn't really want to repeat that of Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to start this new sport and then just like feel like I let myself down all over again because I couldn't show up. Um, And I mean, when I first started, like I was doing it very recreationally. So it wasn't like as big of a deal, but I think it still like lingered in the back of my mind just like, if I want to improve, like I have to, consistency is key and intentionality is key. If just like showing up and working hard. Um, mm. Yeah, it was just like in the back of my mind the whole time. Um, and I think as I got more serious into the sport and realized like, okay, I think this is something that I want to do for a long time. This isn't just like a hobby that I picked up between high school and college that I'll eventually drop. I was like, I think this is something that I want to do. I think I do want to you know, travel around the world and climb rocks and, you know, try and push myself in this sport. And I think as that idea grew in the back of my head, I was like, okay, then I just need to like, the way to do that is to show up and do hard work and be very, very intentional about how I structure my climbing and how hard I try, really. And how did you learn how to do that? You know, I'm I'm sure within soccer, your coaches helped with that. You know, here's exercises that are key for soccer players. Here's some stuff to try. And then maybe, you you know, you refined it over the course of your career. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing that's that's interesting about climbing. And that's why this podcast exists. Like so many people are just out there trying to figure it out on, your, on their own. Did you have yeah. guidance as far as that goes? Or was it just kind of experimenting? How did you think about like what areas to focus on and what, um, yeah, to where, where to put yeah. your energy, I guess, where to put that try hard? I think one, it was like my personality. I'm very much of a self learner. Like I love to teach myself things and I'm very confident in my ability, maybe overconfident in my ability to teach myself uh, skills and then like actually do them well. Um, But even like in my 
throughout my soccer career is just like I would just like watch YouTube videos of people doing certain skills and then just go and try it and you know just re just repeat that process of watch someone else do it, read an article or whatever about I don't know whatever it is that you're trying to learn, and then I would just try and implement that into my own life. Um, and I've kind of just always been that way, whether that's through school or um, through sport or through like cooking or something like that. It's just like I, I love to be able to gain information and then implement it on my own. I'm very much individual in that sense. Um, and I think with climbing, it kind of just happened naturally of where I was like, I felt like I was consuming an un... <laughs> I definitely was consuming an ungodly amount of climbing content and reading an ungodly amount of climbing articles, which I know a lot of other climbers do as well, but some climbers don't. Um, but um, yeah, I think I was just like, absorbing so much information um and also like studying what the pros or whoever was at the highest level of the sport was doing be like okay what worked for them why did it work for them and how can i kind of take that knowledge and apply it to myself and i think the part of applying it for myself was just being like being very critical about what my weaknesses were lucky for me my weaknesses were very clear as a new climber uh, my finger strength it was not great. And I knew that it was like, okay, finger strength from all the information that I'm gathering is something that takes years and years and years and years and years and years of time to really gain, especially for someone like me who's starting at 17 and is already very muscular. I put on muscle quite easily and I have like really thick thighs. So I was like, well, the math and all the information points to the fact that I need to work on my finger strength for the next decade <laughs> if they ever want to have fingers that are going to be at the level of elite climbers um and yeah and i think from that step it was kind of just gaining information about um finger finger training protocols making sure that i was incorporating like fingery styles of climbing into my routine as much as i could but i would like to preface like the first three years of my climbing, I was also very, very, very cautious about mm. not getting injured. I, even up until today, I was very cautious about not getting injured. I don't think I full crimped a hold until like my third year of climbing. Wow. Because I mean, mostly because it like felt very uncomfortable for me as a new climber, but also because I was like pretty terrified of it. I was like, I'm like, I've been pretty much 180 pounds for the whole time. I've been climbing sometimes like norm, but normally between 180, 185, every now and then a little bit lighter. Um, it's just like, I feel like this is a recipe to get injured. If I'm like falling <laughs> hold, like my pulleys are gone. Um, and I kind of like lived in that fear um, until I felt like I had put enough work into it in like comfortable ways, whether that was on a hangboard, mostly on a hangboard, I suppose. Um, that I was like, okay, I can actually start implementing fingery climbing into my training and routine. Um, so it was a slow process, but I would say a very informed process of like, this is my weakness. How do I approach that and tackle it in the best way possible that's beneficial for my strength, but also in a safe way? Man, so intentional. That's amazing. That's what really stands out to me hearing you say all that. I mean, I'm 33. Um, so part of this could just be the information that was available at the time. You know, I started at 18 as well, and um, there just wasn't much out there. You know, that was part of my frustration and why I'm doing this now is because I just felt so hungry to, 
I felt so hungry for those answers. Like, what do I, like, I need stronger fingers. What do I do? Um, but I don't think, I mean, even with what I had, I don't think I had a fraction of the intention that you brought to climbing seemingly from day one until I was like in my mid twenties, maybe, maybe like seven years ish into climbing five or seven years in. And, um, it's, it's just so cool to see what happens if you start off from the beginning with that, that kind of thinking, that intentionality and and bring that sort of, And and I would say like, I think like my mind was kind of there from the beginning, not, not, not totally there. Like I gained a lot of information along the way and had lovely people to climb with that kind of helped in frame, uh, inform my perspective on these things. But like, I, I just want to say like the first year of my climbing did just also look like a beginner climbing of terrible technique, just like having fun on the wall and, you know, just you try every like new move you try, you're like, whoa, I've never done this before. This is so cool. You know, just like exploring the sport in that way. So like there was also a lot of that. It wasn't all just like sure. Yeah. And this technician mindset of just like, I have to overanalyze everything. Um, but I think like there was very um, intentional progression along the way, as I started to gain more resources being like, okay, this is where I'm at now. How do I get to the next level? And once I'm at the next like level, whatever that is, is like, okay, how do I continue to improve? And just like repeating that process over and over again. Mm. You talked about just absorbing an ungodly amount of information, um, like many climbers do. Were there specific books or people or um, resources that that really stood out to you that that were pivotal for you, or was it just? exposing yourself to everything or as much as possible um trying to think it, i've <laughs> read so much stuff i'm like trying to think of when i was reading certain things and yeah. watching certain things or um, maybe maybe a better question is like are there any any books or or athletes um who inspired you that you just kind of keep coming back to like people that um yeah. have, have felt like guiding lights for you in a way um, I think that, okay, there's this article that Will Anglin wrote about finger protocols. I don't know if you've read it. I think it's on the Tension website. I feel like I remember that article being pretty informative. Um, just like, okay, these are like, this is a solid set of finger protocols that I can incorporate into my own life. Um, I'm trying to think of like, athletes that i keep coming back to um a good actually a good athlete i think is matt fultz and just like his approach to how he cross trains for his like fingers and his weightlifting and stuff like that just being like so analytical about everything that he does and like for a really long time like i had a journal of every single training thing that i did every single day and like uh, in like similar ways to Matt Fultz. Like I could tell you the next time I come in exactly what late weight I was going to be lifting exactly like, you know, like just my whole protocols. Um, so yeah, I think like I, I was absorbing a lot of information from people like that. Um, and then just, there's like this, <laughs> this is like so cliche. I feel like Adam Andre has like a very old like training video. Um, where he's just like doing like four by fours in the gym and, you know, screaming in his Adam Andre way and just like training hard, but also like showing some of the different exercises that he does. 
Um, and just like things like that that were really informative of me of like um oh Pachi Pax Pachi Usabiaga. Usabiaga, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um he has like really great information out there and and part of why I know his name is just because he had trained Adam for a little while. And just like seeing kind of the regimented patterns of these top level athletes and being like, how can I not replicate what they're doing because obviously they're v15 v16 climbers i was like a v4 <laughs> to v7 climbing you know person depending on the style and yeah but just like taking that information more so just being like how can i bring that structure into my climbing to fit my needs um yeah and i don't know i feel like yeah it's it's like hard to pinpoint exactly one or two things because it's just like evolves constantly yeah that's yeah that's that's great i love how you think about that i mean um it's this is something i've thought about a lot with this podcast it's like how much of a service am i really doing for most people listening when i interview someone like matt fultz you know like is it is it relevant is it relevant to me is it relevant to you is it relevant to you know all the thousands of people listening um, but I think you just touched on the key thing is it's, it's looking for the principles. It's looking for the way that they approach getting better at climbing yeah. and then, and then, um, scaling that to whatever your ability is and whatever your goals are and tweaking it as needed and playing with it and experimenting with it and learning. But it's just like, I've done a lot of experimenting for sure. Okay. So that's, that's what I wanted to ask you next was, you know, having tried so many things, read so many things have you landed on staples are there are there exercises or training things that have kind of risen to the top for you as far as things that work that you keep coming back to or or do you keep trying new things all the time and and exploring and experimenting um a mixture of both for sure okay um before i i talk too much about that i also want to say on just the last bit of our conversation it's like i think a very important thing for me was it wasn't just uh analyzing okay what do these people do right it's also also analyzing what are the mistakes that other people have made that at large we know are mistakes that we should not repeat and mm-hmm. how can i make sure that i avoid repeating these mistakes um because i think a lot of people do a lot of things right but they have one or two things that they're doing wrong for a really long period of time that holds them back dramatically and whether that's like you're just overtraining or you're, you know, you're developing an eating disorder or stuff like that. It's like these are pieces of information across athletics at large, where we have plenty of available information about of like this is detrimental to your progress as an athlete over the long term. So don't do it. <laughs> you know? Mm. And like I know that's like, I don't want to oversimplify those things because I know they can be complicated, especially if we get talk about like eating disorders but as an athlete growing in the sport i was just like how do i make sure i'm preventing making critical mistakes that are going to slow me down as well as implement the things that are going to also help me mm. and i think that was like having that balance of, per- of a perspective um was really helpful and that's also something i kind of picked up from soccer too just like in coming out of the sport looking back in retrospect being like okay these are the mistakes i made that I think held me back because I ignored certain aspects of myself as an athlete. How can I make sure I'm not ignoring these things mm. as I move forward in my athletic career? 
That is fascinating, man. That's a really cool point that you made. And I think I'm, that's like making me more interested to hear more about that than about what you've actually done. Um, <laughs> do you have other examples? I mean, you shared not overtraining, um, not developing an eating disorder as, um, you know, again, not to be oversimplistic here, but as obvious ones. Any other things specific to climbing that you recognize? Like, oh, that that doesn't yeah, work. Don't go there. Uh, a big one was like making sure I wasn't ignoring progressing my technique. Um, was just like, don't just focus on strength. It was like, okay, make sure that I'm focusing on being good at climbing. Uh, that was a very big one from the get-go. And I think largely that's one of the biggest contributing factors to my like progression as an athlete fairly quickly. Um, it's just like, you have to be good at the sport and if you even want to be able to utilize all their gains you're making. So even if you're like training like perfectly off the wall and your fingers are strong and everything, if you're not good at climbing, you're never going to reap the rewards of those gains ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's kind of like bottom line. So like, I think that was a really big one was just like, okay, make sure I'm, I'm like not ignoring the technical and intellectual side of the sport. Um, and then I think I, I kind of mentioned that another one earlier was just like, make sure I'm not getting injured. I was like, I think a lot of people come into the sport, they see fast progress, and then they start trying really hard, they get a finger injury. And then especially with slightly older, like advice on how to heal finger injuries, it was just like, we'll take a year off from climbing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people just spend four years doing really well and then stop climbing for a year or two years. And then it's like, now you're at your sixth year of being a climber, you really only have, you had two years or one and a half years or whatever, how long it takes you to recover where you really kind of work on yourself. Right. Um, so that was a big one. It's just like, don't make the mistake of doing something dumb <laughs> and injuring yourself unnecessarily prematurely before you're, you're in like totally stopping your progress as an athlete. Um, but yeah, I feel like between kind of those four and i i do throw the like i i the eating disorder in there not that i've ever suffered with that and i like i don't i can't relate to it fully in the sense that like it's not something i've struggled with but knowing that i was coming from soccer and being like man i have like really heavy fucking legs like <laughs> how do i how do i do this i'm 180 pounds 185 pounds most of the people that i climb with i have 40 pounds on mm. um almost at all times, which is like, this is something that I, I don't want to play with fire and then end up regretting it. Mm. So it's kind of, I kind of just tried to have from the beginning, have this approach of, instead of looking at, at it as a setback, how can I make sure that I'm actually like using the body that I have to my fullest advantage, which kind of just shifts my framework of like, instead of viewing this as a negative, how can I use my muscle, 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 Musculature? My <laughs> yeah, my muscular strength, but I was going to say muscality. Muscularity? Yeah, I think that works too. Yeah, to, to my advantage. <laughs> how can I like use the strengths that I have um, as advantages instead of weaknesses? Mm. Um, yeah, and not turn it into a big weakness by making a super big mistake of like trying to just cut weight unnecessarily. Yeah. Man, so much good stuff to touch on there. Um, I want to I want to double click on the technique 
thing that you mentioned real quickly and, and just see if you have any more thoughts on that. That's brilliant. I mean, it's so important to focus on improving at the skill of rock climbing along with getting stronger. Um, you, you, like you said, you're never going to be the best climber you can be if you don't focus on both of those things. It takes it takes both yeah. and the mental game. Um, how did you do that? Coming from soccer, where I assume you had a background of doing skill drills and things like that, did you do that with climbing or was it more just bringing that intention to the climbing gym? I'm going to focus on climbing really well. How, yeah. How, yeah. How did you work on improving your technique in those early years? Um, well, first I want to say <laughs> my early years of climbing that I, or now, I was, how do you, how do you approach that I now? Particularly I looked great. I mean, I, I think the intention was a big part. I just want to say that like, there was a lot of like slow progression through that progress. It wasn't like, I don't want people listening to get the idea that it was like overnight. I turned into this perfect technical climber. I don't think that even today I'm a perfect technical climber, um, which leads to the point of, I think it was just like a lot of the intention behind like executing climb, climbing movements. And I think trying to like think back to if I ever did like specific drills um, and maybe like I dabbled in it, but I wouldn't ever say for an ex excessive period of time. I think the main thing was just all of it was trying to focus on like, okay, am I at this present moment, whatever level I'm at, do I feel like I'm climbing this the best way that I can? Mm. And I mean, that wasn't something that I was always thinking about, but like I would think about it enough that it eventually would build up over time. Yeah. Um, and I would say that the one of the biggest impacts on that, and I think a lot of people say that, was just climbing with people that are better than you. Mm. It's like if mm. you, and like moving to Salt Lake had a big impact on my technical prowess as a climber. Just like if you're climbing with people that are at a higher level than you, you will see them do stuff that you're like, whoa, I never thought of doing that. Or like, how did you do that? Like, you know, um, and just over time, like if you're very intentional about it, you will be like, okay, the reason why they did this move seemingly easier than me was maybe because they were, you know, using this technique or engaging these muscles in a different way, or their timing was different, their pacing was different. Um, so yeah, just like having this intentionality to it um, over time. Mm. Um, I will say though, like, I think everyone's journey is a little different. And for me, I think having a long history of movement and athletics from soccer to parkour to, I always wanted to be a gymnast when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and like, just like always having this interest in movement. And I had, I've had like a yoga practice kind of going on off and on over the like more recent years, but just like being very in tune with my body. I think it was just something that came a little bit more naturally to me of feeling like, okay, I can feel when I do this, the position feels different than when I do this other thing mm. in terms of climbing technique. So many things to talk about. Okay. Um, I'm just, my, my head's like, no, this is amazing. My heads are just spinning with thoughts. Um, I want to check this box because I, I, I thought of asking it twice so far and um, and then we got into something else that was interesting. You've said that you're like 180 to 185 pounds. How tall are you? Like 5'11". Okay. I was just curious so, about that. Which some people say I look like I'm six feet. I haven't gotten, I don't know. I haven't like actually measured my height in 
years. <laughs> so okay. I think I love it. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Just curious about that. And then what else did I want to touch on there? Okay. So you mentioned yoga. Um, you know, you have this back background in athletics, of course, from soccer and, and from these other interests as a kid. Are there anything still to this day outside of climbing, whether it's yoga or um, certain weightlifting exercises, things like that? Are there any things that feel really important to you that you hold on to, um, either because they help your climbing or just because they make you feel good, they balance your body out, whatever it is? I would say having it like I use the word yoga like like loosely. I would say having a mobility routine is mm. very big. But that's that's like a two part thing. One, it like makes me feel good and I love just like being able to move and feel like my body's awake and be in tune with that feeling. Um, but two, it's also just really good for recovery. <laughs> so it's like and that's part of like the um I would say as I've progressed as a climber, it's actually kind of dwindled the other things that I feel like I'm able to do or have the time to do just because the more that you climb, the more that you train, the more you have to dedicate to recovery, which is like the catch 22 of, I think that a lot of people don't see in professional athletes. It's like they go to the gym for three hours and then they do like an hour two hours of recovery, mm. uh, whether that's afterwards or the next day, it's like, it's very, very time consuming. And when you're like spending all your time doing that, it's also hard to like play other sports, especially sports that have the odds of getting you injured. Right. Um, right. But as of right now, okay, this is maybe a good answer as of right now. And this isn't something that I've actually done in like the last two years. Very sadly, I'm very sad about it, but like <laughs> something like snowboarding or skiing, absolutely love like mm. i grew up snowboarding back on the east coast i didn't do it like a ton but i would go multiple times a year as a kid and like that was just the type of movement that's like this is so fun this is so exhilarating and it's totally different than something like soccer or totally different from you know the things that i was doing but still a way to like move with my body and just like be very active in a way that doesn't feel like detrimental to or that wouldn't be now detrimental to my climbing. Mm. You said it's kind of, it's fallen off a little bit in the last couple of years. Yeah. And mainly just like after moving and just being busy and also it's like super expensive and not feeling like it's yeah. the right mm -hmm. thing to allocate my finances to at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's sadly like been put on the back burner, but every time I see someone post a picture of them like skiing or snowboarding, I'm like very jealous. <laughs> Yeah, it's so fun. I grew up skiing and, um, you know, climbing. Eventually, for for many of us, it becomes this year-round sport. And um, uh, skiing has just fallen by the wayside for me, too. And sometimes I do miss it. Sometimes I miss it a lot. It's so much fun. Yeah. Just nice to be outside in the sun. And just, it's just, like, so crazy flying down a mountain. Yeah. It's insane yeah. that we like, do that. You can go insanely fast and do these and, like crazy things with very minimal effort it's like a yeah very we're like <laughs> and that's also kind of like the opposite i feel like of climbing we're like climbing is like oh i well not all the time but like a lot of times like we're trying really really hard to accomplish this thing like a max amount of physical effort is required mm -hmm. something like skiing you can like do no like a minimal amount of effort and have an amazing time just like standing up floating down a hill <laughs> mm -hmm. totally 
Yeah, totally. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I have been taking the Fizzy Vantage Supercharged Collagen every day for about a year now, maybe a little more than a year, and I love knowing that my tendons and my ligaments are getting all of the building blocks they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based, athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in connective tissues and the force transfer matrix of muscle. What the hell does that mean? Well, To me, it means if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. I personally take collagen an hour before my finger training to try to get the most out of my training, and I really think it helps. I still have a long way to go to reach my finger training goals, and like I said, I definitely think the extra collagen is helping. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. And now, back to the show. Okay, <clears throat> do you want to geek out on training a little bit? Sure. I mean, we kind of have been, but I want to I want to hear I think it'd just be really interesting to hear from you. I mean, I talk about training so much on this show and I've talked about training, finger training in particular so many times. And I'm always these days I get a little bit more hesitant to cuz I don't want to add to the noise. I don't want to confuse people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get caught up in this game of like, well, he said this protocol was better. He said this protocol better was better. She did, you know, she's doing this over here. Um, you know, Allison Vest is just like one arm hanging the beast maker <laughs> and like campus. I say Victor. that as a compliment, Allison, if you ever listen to this. What did you say? I said a freak. Dude, yeah, campusing but, between like eight and six mil crimps or yeah. whatever. Um so yeah, there's 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 clearly so many ways to get strong fingers, and there's no one way to do it. But I do think, you know, I've had so many of those conversations with like pro athletes who've been doing this stuff forever. Um, many of them trained their fingers through adolescence and had that advantage of, of having that really big foundation and base. And you didn't have that. And, and I just would love to hear what some of the lessons, um, yeah, what some of the lessons are that stand out to you when it comes to this finger training journey that you've been on in particular, if anything yeah. comes to mind. Um, I guess I should just start at the beginning. I okay. Really got my because I I agree with you. Like I don't want to add to the mo- to the noise too much, but I think maybe yeah, just like talking about my personal process might be helpful to other people. And when I say personal, I mean like it was tailored to my needs. <laughs> and I don't like say like if you copy this, you will have success because uh, that's just not how training ever works. Um, but yeah, I think for me. The very beginning of my finger training journey was mainly focused around, um, it was like mainly a combination of like, um, of, uh, injury prevention and strengthening kind of going hand in hand of like, I need to strengthen my fingers so my fingers don't get injured when I'm climbing. And just so that I have stronger fingers, but like those two things, like were very, very tied together of like. I don't feel comfortable crimping on the wall. So I need to find a way to get my fingers stronger so I can like feel more comfortable doing that. Um, and I think, and uh, originally the way that I did that was really just like hanging on a hangboard on relatively comfortable edges, 
I think I probably started off not adding any weight, just on like a, I don't know, 20 mil, 15 mil, because that's all I could do at the time period. But the the important thing there was that it was very controlled. It wasn't dynamic movement. So it wasn't like shock loading my fingers in any crazy way. It was just like building up this consistency of like, okay, I'm getting my fingers to adjust to the loads of grabbing smaller holds than I've ever grabbed in the last 18 years of my life. <laughs> so that was kind of like the first, I trying to think if I can put like a time scale on that, maybe like, I don't think I did that the first year of my climbing. Um, that was maybe more incorporated into like the second year, uh, second, third year. And all these like phases kind of blend together. Um, and overall, like over the last four years, I guess I would say like my finger training journey has really been a thing was just consistency was at the forefront of everything, which just like this is a process that I just need to be consistent at for a relatively long period of time. So it was like, I need, my main thing was like, it should be simple and it should be consistent. So that way my fingers can adjust and I can have like clear progression. Um, yeah, I, I would say after like, I kind of got through that like comfort phase of like, okay, I feel more comfortable grabbing smaller holds on the wall or like using something like a board and maybe like a little bit of full crimping every now and then I think the next honestly like the main thing I did for my finger training was just like max hangs on the hangboard one to two times a week I think I've maybe done repeaters like <laughs> I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've done repeaters like my finger training protocol almost always focused around just max hangs so doing like um yeah like hanging for five to ten seconds on the, an edge generally not super small i didn't incorporate like small edge training into more recent years um but yeah hanging on the edge that was like pretty comfortable maybe a, like three quarters of a pad to a half pad or to a full pad plus some um and eventually yeah, adding weight over time um was like the main staple of my finger training um, eventually I started adding in tension blocks. So like in lifting off the ground instead of hanging. Um, and that's like, I want to say that there's like some magic bullet to that. It's not like you're really training your fingers any, in any different form than if you're hanging. But the main thing that reason why I added that was just to relieve like repetitive shoulder motion. Mm. Um, that way it wasn't like just like overloading my shoulders because hanging can be weird is like sometimes you feel really strong in like your muscles <laughs> so you like have really good technique on the board which increases your hang time and then other times like your fingers are in okay shape but like your body can't <laughs> like support the actual activity of hanging on a hangboard at max strength so you don't have as good of a performance intention blocking was just like a way to supplement that um and you're just like yeah. picking it up for reps to, when you're doing that. Yeah, like yeah. you use a, a weight pin. Most a lot of gyms nowadays have them where like you can just like put a 45 pound plate or whatever size plate as long as it has like the same plates you would use for squatting or benching. Um, yeah, you can just like put those onto a pin and lift it off the floor on a tension block, uh, which is just like for people that don't know, it's just a small wooden block with like edges on it, just like a hangboard. Um, so yeah, like incorporating a mixture of that. Um, I think the most like 
this is like kind of the way more like getting into the technical stuff of it. Some of the things that helped me the most were starting to incorporate. I don't need, I don't want to say like help me the most, like it was some magical thing, but some things I did do that did help me was like uh, incorporating back three training mm. and front three training. Because one thing that I started to notice over time was just like my fingers were relatively imbalanced. Like my front three was originally like crazy stronger than my back three. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I started on the tension block incorporating like back three training where I was just using my pinky ring finger and middle finger um, and doing that just to like make, just to, yeah, strengthen those fingers and that type of pulling, um, however that muscles actually work out. Um, but yeah, like getting kind of very like specific with just that, like those few things and just being like very, very consistent. I mentioned earlier, like I had a notebook where like, I would just write down like every single number that I did of just like, okay, today, like I hung, you know, I don't know, 35 pounds on a 15 millimeter edge with two hands for, I did this amount of reps, uh, this many times. And then I took like this amount of rest in between those times and like repeated the process and yeah, just like being super analytical about all that stuff. Um, whether, and then like writing down, like I, my right hand back three did this much. My left hand back three did this much. My mm-hmm. front three was this, my one hand on the 20 millimeter was this, like just being like very analytical, but and kind of kind of like trying new things every now and then, but all of the new things I was trying revolved around the same principles of just like train it one or two times a week and do it at a maximal effort. Um, and then try and recover for the next section. Um, and when you say, sorry, go ahead. I did that for probably like, I would say that was like a solid two years of doing that pretty consistently. Um, it wasn't until COVID actually that things started to change. Um, cause COVID happened and then I didn't really have access to training all that much. Um, and that's actually when I started doing minimal edge training because <laughs> this is crazy because this actually did change. I feel like my ability to crimp dramatically was, I mean, me and my partner were living in a studio apartment in Philly when COVID hit. So I didn't really have like that much space to work out or anything. It was a pretty small spot. Um, but I ordered the tension micros, the 10 millimeter, the eight millimeter, and the six millimeter. And I had never hung the six millimeters before in my life back in 2020 when COVID hit. And I was just like, all right, I just want to be able to hang the six mils. And like, just like in COVID, I would just like be in a, like in front of my bathroom, like most climber hangboards are, <laughs> just like holding on to the tens, working my way through the eights until I felt comfortable. And then eventually like hanging on the sixes. And that actually, I would say had a profound impact, maybe more mentally than physically mm. of being like, oh, I actually am capable of grabbing small edges mm. and supporting my body weight on that. And feeling more confident in my fingers' ability to do that, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't really train micro edges that frequently anymore. That was kind of a, a shorter phase. Um, I feel like that's after COVID and after moving to Salt Lake. I guess the only the next thing that I started doing, just because I felt like my finger strength had improved a lot over the last couple of years, I just started doing a lot more like one arm hangs um, instead of two arm hangs and adding weight. I switched to doing one arms and taking off weight. Um, but again, 
revolving around very similar principles. Um, but over the last year, I, well, I got injured, which sucked, but I actually haven't done that much finger training. Um, I did a little bit for recovery, but I've actually taken a step back from finger training mostly altogether. Um, but that's not because I'm not trying to get my fingers stronger. I'm just have a different approach now. Okay. My needs. Okay. Amazing. Um, I feel like I've said a lot of stuff. So yeah, no, we that's, should. we should, we should definitely talk about that. I'm so curious to hear what you're doing now. I just want to touch on a couple of things that you talked about. Um, thanks for sharing all that. That was amazing. I think that's super helpful actually, just to hear, you know, not, not just what you did, but how you think about it. I think that's the value here. Um, cause there's lots of ways to, I don't know, fry an egg. Is that a thing that people say? doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> there definitely are lots of ways to yeah. do that. <laughs> okay. But consistency, it's, it's so, I don't know, man. It's so interesting. Like that comes up so often on the show. It's obviously, um, a key principle in any kind of training that we do, just showing up and, and being really consistent with it over the long term and playing the long game like that. And I feel like that's a lesson that I learned, um, intellectually so many years ago and i've found it surprisingly hard to do something as simple as what you're describing like i've just overthought it for so many years you know um and i kind of get in my head about it like i've been consistent with my finger training for a few years but change between protocols because i'm afraid of stagnating and i feel like i need to give my body a different stimulus and max hangs focus more on neurological recruitment so i need to switch it up and do things that target the you know, the, uh, the tendon density and things like that. But you're not, you're certainly not the first person that I've talked to or, or met in real life who has literally just done a couple sessions of max hangs every week for like years. You know, yeah. that's, that's not that different from what Allison Vest does. And she's got some of the strongest fingers on the planet at this point. And it's just such a refreshing reminder that it can actually be that simple. Like, you know, yeah. there's, there's value in maybe switching things up every once in a while. But I think, um, a really common mistake that I've made and that I see a lot of other people make is, you know, how you start something new and you get that really short term kind of quick bump up, you know, like within For the sure. first six weeks, you kind of, you, you learn the skill of that strength movement. You learn the yeah. skill, even though it doesn't seem like a skill, you learn the skill of hanging on that specific 20 mil edge or whatever and it is. You're like, neurons right act really quickly like adjust really fast and then kind of stagnate yeah right and so it feels like after six weeks you got what you could get what, what you're going to get out of it and it's time to switch to something new but your story like just showing up and doing it twice a week for a year or two and having that work i mean it's it, it kind of reminds me of like dave mcleod too you, you know he had this amazing like six or eight month oh what's Sorry, up just brought up a lot of things i totally <laughs> blanked on my love affair with it <laughs> he, that is the probably best. one thing that has come up a lot for mm. me of just like he has a lot of really good training information out there of how to hang board and how to structure your training how to you know incorporate training with your projecting and stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah dave mcleod is he's very smart he's very smart yeah. when it comes to farming. yeah and i i just watched an instagram video from him this morning where he set a new pr in his three finger drag on the hangboard you know he's like one arm hanging three finger drag plus like 16 kilos or something 
Um, which is amazing because he's been literally, as far as I can tell, he's been doing the same thing, the same finger training yeah. approach for like, I don't know, five plus years or something. And I, I just think we overthink things like so much of this information, not, you know, people are probably like, I, I don't know what they're maybe rolling their eyes at me hearing me say this because I just put out this episode with Tyler Nelson and I'm all excited about this new thing that I feel like is this missing puzzle piece. So I do the same thing too. I, I fall in this trap, but there's so much to be said for picking something that you can stick with forever and just doing it over the long term forever. So anyway, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot of value in that. And I think an important thing to note too, is just like with that quick progression is like, you when you like see that quick progression in six months or six weeks it's like those i i feel like those gains i we call them gains but i feel like in a lot of ways that's actually strength that your body has had it just hasn't really known how to use it's like, like waking that. up you're like waking up yeah your, exactly yeah so totally it's waking it up but you're not like totally just like gaining these newfound strengths you're more so yeah like waking up is a good word for it but to like solidify that weakness that you gain and then to actually see gains it's like that's when you really have to push past that mm. stick weak mark to really be like okay this is what my body is capable of and now i need to like train it to like go a little bit further and also like solidify the fact that it can do this activity really well uh, and then that cycle kind of just repeats and i would like to add like i think it is helpful in that consistency is like take a little bit of time off every now and then it's like sometimes like your body will get a little bit too overworked from the same movement and sometimes just like taking two weeks off you will take two weeks off come back and pr immediately mm. just because like your body had that little bit of extra rest to like solidify those gains or the stress that it's been having and then it'll actually recover and it's that recovery process that allows you to actually like get stronger totally um, and then you'll come back and like, then you start repeating the process again and have that next consistent, you know, two month, four months of training, three months of training, or however long your training lasts. And then, you know, take a little bit of rest, not don't take, I, well, I don't generally recommend take like a whole year off from the activity because then you kind of lose your progress. But yeah, take like a little bit of rest and then like have that consistency. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I, sorry for jumping in, but I just, I just have this thought that, um, you know, we, we often think that we need to take rest periods, um, you know, every month or every six weeks or something, take a deload. That's something that I've talked about that I've, that I've had good results with. Like every fourth week, I just have an easier week. Um, yeah. when I, when I'm, when I'm being, when I'm behaving, you know, I get carried away sometimes, but, um, that's, that's interesting. You know, you said two to three to four months or whatever. I'm just, I just had the thought that if you're doing that once or twice a week, that's really only like eight to 10 to 12 sessions before you take a chunk of time off. So that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like that's an appropriate amount of sessions to kind of be pushing forward towards something or in, in some direction before you kind of take a, a little break from it. I, I That's actually, that's one of the beneficial things of keeping a journal. And that's one thing I learned through that process was like, I'd have months of journaling and look back at a certain workout and be like, oh, I only did this eight times, <laughs> you know, because it was like, this was a once a week thing. So it took two months to get to eight sessions, you mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. it's like, that's not that long of a training period in the light of that information, you know. Totally. Um, yeah. Let's talk about 
your progress over that time? Because that's another thing that I think makes has made me overthink all this stuff for way too much of my climbing career. Because you get, like we've been talking about, you get that initial, um, you know, that peak, you're teaching your brain how to fire your motor units and your hands and whatever, your finger flexors. And you get amazing results from your first few weeks of doing max hangs. What happens next? Like, what did your progress look like over those couple of years? Were you PRing or adding load every session or only adding load every few months? Like, what, what did that look like for you? Um, a lot of trial and error, to be honest. Um, I think at the first, at the beginning, it looked a lot like trying to add a little bit of weight every single session, which would normally work for like, maybe four or five sessions after that initial like really strong burst like i might see like a two and a half pound increase or like two pound increase like something small um but i think over time and this also it's like hard to say exactly what the cause of this is because it depends on how frequently you're training how much other climbing you're doing with all of this um i think eventually like i start to see the numbers kind of like go up and then go down and then go up and then go down and then like just like a little bit of a lack of consistency and over time i just like was able to figure out like okay maybe i'm like overtraining a little bit and that's why i'm not saying my the next session I, like i'm actually having good numbers it's just because i haven't actually fully recovered um so i think in like yeah those beginning years it was like i would after that whatever the initial ramp up and progression was i'd see like very small increments of progression and then i'd see it slowly taper off as i overloaded myself which is a separate but relative conversation that i've kind of like just learned how my body is through trial and error um but yeah i would say if you look at the whole two-year progress or like three-year progress of my finger training it's really just like small increments it's mm. like very small increments over a long period of time. It's really not that they add like, up. Those things add up. Good, man. good training is very boring. <laughs> it, it, like if yeah. you're looking at numbers, it's like you're not seeing anything mind blowing happening mm -hmm. on charts. Like, oh man, you know, this week you like went from not being able to hang your body weight to adding forty five pounds. That just doesn't happen, right? You, know, it's, you look at your last session and you're like, well, this session is barely any different. Um, but over a couple of years, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, all those barely differences added up. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very unremarkable in the small, in like looking at it at small scales. It's really only special once you look at the big dude. That's man. That's so worth highlighting. Um, <laughs> and it kind of makes me laugh, like, you know, not, not to pick on people, but I have seen this happen. Um, many, many times because, you know, friends of mine know that I am a geek and, and love doing this stuff like you do and love writing things down and always have a finger training plan and stuff like that. And there were so many times, especially when I lived at Smith and, you know, training was kind of, I don't know if it was new, but, you know, training for climbing is relatively new, I guess. So a lot of people were just dipping their toe in and I would get this have these types of interactions all the time where someone would be like, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to train my fingers, you know, I'm going to do a block of finger <laughs> training. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you're not going to be Daniel, Daniel Woods if you train for six weeks. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. it's like, I'm excited for you. Yeah, this is great. But, um, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to start this six week thing. And at the end of it, I'm going to be awesome. And it's like, man, if it was that yeah. easy, everyone would be climbing V15. Yeah, exactly. For so. sure. And like, it, 
it's cool because like I feel like you will train a little bit and see that initial race and be like, oh whoa, this like really works. It's just I think a lot of people get really psyched by that. And then when the gains start to get smaller and smaller, they like get less psyched and they're like, ah, mm-hmm. you know, I like don't have the motivation for this anymore. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask this question earlier. I want to check this box. Have you mostly, or at least in that chapter of your finger training, were you mostly just focusing on half crimp? Um, mostly. How do you define half crimp? <laughs> I, I define it like, do okay. Is your is your pinky engaged or is your pinky like uh, not bent at the middle joint? I, I think that just depends on finger length and anatomy. For me, my yeah, pinky's like, like dragged, and my my ring, middle, and index finger are half crimped. And bent okay. at the I, yeah well regardless i would say i've mostly focused on uh, what i would call half crimp whether the like pinky's engaged or relaxed okay i feel like I, it's mostly been this um i have done a little bit of three finger drag training too just because that was another like atrocious weakness of mine mm. just like wow my three finger drag is so bad especially on like in cuts Mm. Um, so I've done like a little bit of that, but not to the same amount that I've done half crimping. And then, yeah, every now and then dabbling in like full crimping on micros. Um, a lot, like, I feel like especially earlier in the whole introduction of training for climbing to the like majority of climbers, people were like, oh, you should never train your crimps, um, on a like hangboard, which I found ridiculous. Cause it's like, if you're going to do it on a wall dynamically, doing on a hangboard is infinitely safer. Mm-hmm, like totally. the math just doesn't add up. Yeah. So I was like, well, before I, if I'm going to like pull on a six millimeter crimp while I'm standing on tiny feet and have the odds of blowing off, like I'm going to train this on a hangboard um, too. So I d- I've done like a little bit of that small edge full crimping. Um, and that's also just like personal, just because I feel like that's an, a big thing that I've struggled with in my climbing of like being able to crimp small holds. Mm. Uh, but yeah, most, mostly the majority of it is just like medium sized hold half crimp training. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then you kind of teased us. What are you focusing on these days? How's your finger training changed? Finger. So my finger training has changed in the last year partially one because i was just been focusing a lot more on outdoor climbing but two because i have a or at least i had i feel like i still have a little bit but a pretty big difference in my ability to pull statically versus dynamically on crimps um so a big thing that i feel like i experienced in my climbing career was like i feel like my finger strength like my numbers aren't bad if I look at them just on like the hangboard. It's like I'm not like that far behind the curve of where people that are climbing at my grade are. Mm. I feel like I'm like fairly average on a hangboard. But when it actually came to climbing, it was like I feel like as soon as I have to like pull my like uh as at a quick pace or dynamically on small holds when I'm climbing, I felt like I just couldn't trust my fingers at all. I just like mm. didn't have strength to chop to shock load. Um, so now I've really I've just been focusing a lot more of like active finger training, if you want to call it that, of just like training on boards where I'm climbing on small holds or smaller holds way more aggressively and way more dynamically. Um, so and 
I want to tie this in just like the whole conversation about like what is my finger training looked at as a whole and how has it changed where it's like my finger training has changed but I'm still targeting my weaknesses of finger strength by training on styles of climbing specifically like board styles like the moon board or the kilter board with the intention of getting my fingers stronger consistently like one to two times a week so it's like the structure of how i'm actually putting my energy into my fingers hasn't changed too much i still train it one to two times a week i go in and i kilter board or i go in and i moon board or i go in and i campus on like crimps on a spirit wall like a combination of those things it's just now i'm focusing more on incorporating the finger strength that i've built on the last three years of finger training doing statically on a hangboard now i'm trying to incorporate that strength that i've built up into more active styles of climbing so kind of like merging the two yeah and i feel like that's actually that's like especially when i first started like digesting literature about climbing training i think a constant thing that came up with people like commenting on articles and stuff was just like you know finger training school but i feel like it just didn't transfer to my climbing um and that's because it, it takes a while to merge the two. Mm. It's like you gain static strength. And that strength is real. It's not that that strength doesn't matter. It's just that, if, especially if you like have taken time off from climbing as well, it's like the translation from static strength to dynamic shock loading is like two different things that you kind of have to like merge together. So now I'm kind of like focusing my attention a lot more on that process of like, hey, what does it look like to train my fingers in a much more climbing specific way? How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, nice. it's like, it's it's more complicated because you have to deal with full body fatigue. Um, where like hangboarding, it's like you can, you know, make sure that your fingers recover and then you're ready for your next session where, you know, actual climbing is like, maybe your fingers recovered but your core is like totally blown or something from a core workout and then you just suck on a kilter board because you can't keep your feet on you know so it's like it's more complicated in that sense but also more beneficial in that sense because you're constantly working on your climbing as a whole mm. not just your finger strength um but yeah it's like i think it's really it's been really great like it's the same thing of just like you see fairly quick gains at first um, and then like the gains kind of get smaller and smaller, but it's just about consistency over time. And when you look back, you're like, oh, like I used to only be able to do this amount of this grade on the board. And now I like do that easily in a session. Um, so, yeah. Going back to what you said earlier about noticing pitfalls and avoiding pitfalls and how that's been just as important as focusing on what does work. You mentioned overtraining. You know that's a that's obvious, a very obvious thing to try to avoid if you want to become better over the long term. What does a climbing week or a training week look like for you? You know, you have one or two board sessions these days. Um, how much are you climbing? How much other stuff are you doing? Um, you know, is, is are you really consistent with that? Does it change in different seasons? Give me give me some uh, insights into what your training volume yeah. looks like. Um definitely changes in different seasons and depending on so i guess like a big example of that is right now i'm a full-time route setter so i'm setting four days a week um two of those days are normally setting boulders generally up to like v11 v12 um, or at least four running boulders up to that grade um and then two of those days are like setting top ropes which are generally easier days like maybe up to like 512 which is a 
all that hard when you break down into degrees. Um, but that definitely has dramatically impacted my training volume just because it's like I have consistently full days of work like dedicated to some kind of climbing specific fatigue. Um, so my training definitely has revolved around that a lot differently. Um, and that's a job that I started back in the summer. Um, and actually it's not a great comparison from like my training in the summer to when I started route setting just because I was injured right before I started route setting. So I wasn't really training that much anyway. But if you looked at the like year leading or the couple months leading up to right before I got injured, I was training twice a day, four to five days a week. Wow. And when I say training, when I say training, like you have to understand that that's not just like going hard on a moon board twice a day. That would be like, I'd go to the gym maybe in the morning um, and I would do like mobility stuff or actually, no, I would normally do my hard training in the morning. I would do like, if I had a finger training day, I would do my finger training in the morning um, and maybe follow that up with some like climbing. I trend. I think I would generally try and keep the morning sessions a little bit shorter because they were like my max session. Um, do it when I'm the freshest um, and most awake. Um, and then take a rest, go do whatever else I had to do with my day, and then go back to the gym, generally do some more general type of climbing, maybe work on skills like slabs or something, whatever it is, just like focusing more on actual climbing and then incorporate some type of mobility and recovery. Um, and some days the double training, like I wouldn't actually climb in the afternoon, it would strictly be like uh, off the wall training, like maybe weightlifting or just like mobility exercises to stay healthy. Like I mentioned earlier, it's like when you're training at that volume, it's like a significant 25% of my time or 15%, I don't know, a decent chunk was just going towards recovering for the next session. Um, so it's like time consuming in that sense, but it's a pretty high volume nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and I would do that maybe like I generally do two days on, one day off um and every now and then do like two days on one day off three days on one day off um and if i was doing um two days on one day off the first day like the first day of the two days of climbing would normally i'd have my finger training on that first day um and then do like climbing then the next day would maybe be like uh the morning session would maybe be like a short board session like on the kilter board that's like not quite finger like just finger training but like using some bigger holds just because i finger trained the day before or i would just climb in the gym on gym sets and then follow it up with like a recovery session take the day off um if i was doing three days on one day off i would do like hard day the first day and then the middle day would generally be like more workout off the wall kind of stuff whether that was weightlifting or like deadlifting would generally fall into that uh, middle day and then the third day feeling a little bit more recovered in my fingers i would do a little bit more like hard focus training style climbing um and then rest maybe two days if i did three days on i'd try and rest two days if i could um and then do blocks like that for maybe 10 days of climbing um so if it's three days on two days off two days on one day off you have like that's like one block that would be five days and then do that twice so you get 10 days in total and then like 
maybe take three or four days of um, like really, really low volume. Mm. Um, maybe you'll have a little bit of climbing in there just because four days off, you I would generally feel like total shit just because like your body goes completely cold, your fingers and neurons aren't firing at all. And then like your first day back and second day back, you just feel like totally off. So I normally, like if I was taking more than two days off, I generally make sure I have like a very light climbing session in there just to keep my blood flow moving and everything. And then do like a very, very long mobility and recovery session at least one of those days. So I feel fresh going back into my next training period. Um, that was my plan of climbing when I wasn't working as a route setter and didn't have a full-time job and was just freelancing and could climb whenever I wanted to at well, any time in the day. What were you doing? Were you doing photography for your work at the time? Yeah, I was, I was freelancing um, photography and modeling. Okay. Um, for pretty much a whole year and doing some like other odd jobs, um, but nothing full time that like demanded my presence <laughs> uh -huh. consistently. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, one of the best things about that period of time for me was like I was, I was living in Salt Lake and I was climbing with people that were at a much higher level of climbing than me all the time. And for people that don't know the Salt Lake climbing community, it has probably out of anywhere in the states the highest majority of professional climbers oh for sure yeah just because the u.s training center is here there's like so many comp kids and i was like lucky enough to be able to train with a decent amount of them fairly consistently off and on um which i just felt like was tremendous to my growth as an athlete mm. and that all pretty much came to an end as soon as i started route setting <laughs> well i got injured that came to an end and then i wasn't able to restart that process as soon as i started route setting again um, why did you start route setting um consistency just in like finances and stuff mm. and feeling, feeling like and not just like finances but also just feeling like me and my partner had just been going 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 since we moved to salt lake and just like not quite feeling like we had totally settled down yet so i think it was just like the right move to be like all right let's like slow down our pace of life a little bit and like have some consistency to our mm. routine and kind of just like get a little bit more nested i suppose um for a time period and uh, i guess route setting was just a way to do that yeah. and also uh increase my finances a little bit okay um so that was eliminate yeah. the hustle. It sounds like, yeah, 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 a little bit eliminate the hustle a little bit, and it, it was actually funny because I was like, oh, this will be like a great restful, you know, a more consistent period. And then like as soon as I took my route setting job, like all of my freelance work just like blew up. <laughs> <laughs> working like two full time jobs, oh, like man. doing photography shoots and like <laughs> weekly and route setting on top of that, and like it was. A, shit show for a period like i was taking off date like work days i was using pto from route setting to go work other jobs <laughs> after like making you know much larger paychecks than what a day of route setting would be but just like yeah like devouring my pto to go do other work and stuff it was i was like very busy um and during that period of time like climbing got pushed to the back burner a little bit but now that i'm route setting again my routine has looked much different and part of that's just like i started out setting the summer then i got super busy with work like i just said and then climbing season and once climbing season hit i was pretty much just like i just 
want to go climbing outside as much as I can. Um, and it was actually funny enough. Like I was coming off of an injury. I hadn't really been training all that much because I was working a ton. And I started going and climbing outside. And like my climbing was just great. <laughs> like I did a V13 like early in the fall. And I just like felt really good. I was like, man, I like have done like almost zero training and prep for this, but just been like really focused on climbing as good as I can when I can. And I I think it was just a moment of like, oh wow, the last four years of my mm. climbing career feel like it's paying off. Like mm, that's awesome, dude. More recovered because I've been training less and just like kind of had this more spontaneous spontaneous performance phase of my climbing mm. the last fall just like oh wow i feel like really good um but now that a climbing season's kind of come a little bit more to an end my training looks um definitely less volume um and it kind of like the language around how i describe it kind of depends on whether i say like i treat forerunning as training or if i don't um i generally don't because it's inconsistent um so it's not like something i can be like okay this is how hard i'm gonna try during four running on any given day or what style i'm gonna climb on any given day of four running um but generally it's just i right now i'm doing at least one kilter session a week um so like i'll go onto the kilter board and just climb i'll either do i generally alternate between a volume day of kilter like i alternate weekly like i'll do a volume of like i'll just go in and try and do like 20 v8s or something like that or just like a pretty volume day and then the next week i'll switch it up and do like okay i'm going to focus more on like hard climbing on no, the that's cool of trying v10s or v11 just to switch it up so it's not the same thing every single time um and to make sure i'm not like over injury overuse injuries um, and then I also will incorporate, I generally incorporate uh, one core workout a week. I, my, and this is really important. My philosophy around climbing is that it's climbing is a skill sport that really just requires finger strength and core strength. Ah. <laughs> like if you, have, if you have those things, you could be a really, really, really good climber. Yeah. Um, so right now, since my training volume is pretty low, it's like those are kind of the staples of like I do my board climbing that focuses on my weakness of which is generally like steep finger dependent climbing. Um, that's like fairly dynamic. And then um, I will train core. And then the other actress, other day of training will generally, right now, it's actually been campusing um and not campus boarding but like doing very like finger focused campus problems on a spray wall of just like picking holds and then just like making up campus problems that oh, are cool your limit and then doing that um and those have kind of been the staples of my training right now it's not anything miraculous but to me it focuses on my weaknesses as a climber which has always been steep crimping and tension mm -hmm. yeah i want to i want to uh, add a little something. I mean, you're you're absolutely, I think, right and onto something with the fingers plus core. I mean, that's that reminds me of like this really old Dave Graham article that I read. I think it was a Sonny Trotter article about Dave Graham years ago, and um, he was kind of saying that that was what explains how good and how 
strong Dave is. It's just fingers and core. Um, Cause you know, he, they were climbing together in a gym and Dave couldn't do any of the like one army campusy stuff that all these yeah. other bros were doing, but he was like by far the strongest climber in the group um, when it came to rock climbing. So point well taken. I will also say for listeners that aren't watching the video, you're totally jacked. So you've got a lot of the other things covered as far as, this as far as true. that goes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is fair. This is, I can't deny it. Um, <laughs> but I will say like, like it has its advantages. Like there, I have, I won't say that it's my favorite style of climbing, but it's by far the best style of climbing that I'm, that I'm good at is like, if you give me like a compression sloper line, like, by far, that's probably the hardest thing I can climb grade-wise. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what my body is naturally suited towards. But I would say the majority of climbing, at least outdoors, is not compressor slope. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, really a lot more figure-dependent, which I think is why I generally lean towards, like, as, I don't know, like, fingers and core. Yeah. No. There, there certainly are other things. I won't, I'm not trying to say those are the only things. But yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time on this because I, I want to respect your time and wrap up here pretty soon. And I, I want to be able to talk about your photography at least a little bit before I let you go. Um, but I, I do want to ask quickly about the core because core is funny. Like core is such a catch-all term for, you know, that could be like 15-minute abs, that could be like planks, that could be deadlifting, you know? I mean, if you consider posterior chain uh, core training, which which I do, what does that look like for you? Do you have staple exercises? Um, I do. And I treat core training very similar to what I treat finger training is that max like effort core training beats like when I see people doing like four minute plank holds, I'm like, you're very rarely, at least in bouldering, <laughs> a little bit in sport climbing, but even in sport climbing, it like ebbs and flows. And like generally your endurance core is not like the thing that you need to train is like we mostly have fairly good consistency in our core strength it's like increasing the max amount of effort that our core can produce well one also increase like its ability to sustain a long duration of core totally totally like that'll that's what's actually going to increase your like max tension when you're doing really hard moves um so that said is like a lot of the staple exercises of my core training has been one like posterior uh exercises posterior chain exercises like deadlifting or i don't know what these machines are called but when you like put your feet in between the bars and then do like reverse sit-ups essentially okay Um, Mm -hmm. i don't know what that is yeah i don't know what that's called either yeah i don't know what it's called but like most gyms have that machine (laughs) i that's a fair staple and then for like the more abdominal core muscles um i really really love doing one weighted l-sits um but actually even more favorite than weighted l-sits like when you do like when you hang from a bar and you do like knee raises or whatever like knees to chest i don't know what people call them um i will do that with like a 25 pound weight in my like holding a 25 pound weight and like do or do whatever weight i can do like maybe five to eight reps of um so it's very maximal um where and where's the weight how are you holding the weight when you do that uh i'll I'll like hang from the bar i'll sit i'll have the weight sitting on the ground and i'll just grab it with my feet like squeeze my feet together Mm. and then do the like 
lift my knees to my chest. So it's like um, a, like, it's like a barbell uh, plate up. vertical, and you're just like squeezing. Uh, it with your... I like no dumbbells. Normally dumbbells. Oh, okay, because they have like a, you can they like I don't know sit the like knob on the top the bell <laughs> <laughs> sits on the top of your foot, so you squeeze the like where you would grab it with your hand. Okay, um, the dumbbells vertical, yeah, and you just clamp the like metal the where you would hold it. And where um, are you clamping it between your ankles, knees? Generally, uh, right, like your uh, big toe, like the knuckle on your big toe or whatever. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Your bunion. I don't know. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. So clamp it like that and then do like a couple knee raises. Um, That's cool. Those are a staple because they're really hard <laughs> and like you can just, it's a very easy way to like measure how much weight your core can actually lift yeah in that um and then i really like doing ab rolls because mm. that works your abdominals and your posterior chain mm. and specifically like ab rolls on your toes mm-hmm. um, not mm-hmm. that on your knees isn't good if you can't do it on your toes knees is how you progress to that um but working up to doing it on my toes is like that's when i feel like it targets my lower back and my core the most it helps your shoulders too it definitely strengthens your shoulders yeah yeah um i've dabbled in like front levers a little but personally i don't think front levers are all that specific of an exercise to climbing yeah um i feel like it's slightly controversial to tell people because they just look cool man they just look cool but i look so cool i think i agree i want to do that so much and i'm like there's so many climbers that climb harder than you that can't do a front lever for the life. Of <laughs> it's not the secret sauce. Um, yeah. And it, yeah. it definitely is an estimate to a certain level of strength, but yeah, totally. I don't think it's very specific. Um, but yeah, those are, those are by and large the staples of my core routine. Nice. Um, I'm glad I asked that. I'm glad I asked that. That's really helpful. And there's some new ones in there that I haven't really heard of before or haven't tried. Um, and for people listening, I think this is worth saying too, because I, I see this a lot, like the 15 minute abs or the four minute plank, you know, um, I think that's misguided core training. It's also fucking heinous. It's so much more miserable than what you're describing. Yeah, like so what you're miserable. describing is really hard, but it's like, yeah. you, you're going to enjoy your training so much more if you <laughs> focus more on core strength, like actual strength um, and do a few reps of something that's hard to do. Yeah. And- I want to add to with all of my training as well. One of the main reasons why I focus on like maximal effort training is because I also climb a lot. So like I get a lot of the like repetition training from doing a high volume of climbing on the wall. Mm. When I have my high volume kilter sessions, like that's basically doing repeaters because it's like a load that I can sustain over and over and over again. That very rarely me just like goes to failure. Um, so it's like I'm getting a lot of that. And same with course. Like if you're climbing steep terrain consistently, you're working your core. You're working your core endurance over and over and over again. So that's generally like not the area that I'm lacking in because I have a very high volume of climbing. So like my training complements what my climbing is already covering. Mm. Um, so that like looks different for different people, but if you have a high volume of climbing, generally doing like the repetition type of like just large volume training, it might be repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think that's really smart. 
Okay, let's wrap up this training talk with one last question. I wanted to ask you, is there any, you've already mentioned some of it in this conversation, but is there any other popular advice when it comes to training or getting better at climbing that you disagree with? Oof. Um, I don't know if this is like advice that I disagree with, but more so like clarification when like it needs clarification when people say this is like the whole like practice makes perfect or just like climbing is the best training for climbing um which i think is true but you have to be climbing correctly if you want it to pay off um and i that's not to say that like there's always just one best way to climb a climb but if you're just climbing consistently you know practicing consistently with horrible technique like you're only going to get better at horrible technique, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, mm. make sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing the right, most beneficial way for your body um, as you can. Don't just like hear someone say, the best way to get better at climbing is climbing. And then like, don't pay any attention to what good climbing actually is and think you're going to get better. Mm. Awesome. That's great. Thanks yeah. for that. Okay. Um, I want to hear a little bit about your photography and then I promise I'll let you go. I've, we've been talking for about two hours so far. Um, but yeah, this has been so much fun, man. I, I really appreciate it. And it's, it's, um, it's been an awesome conversation. Um, this is definitely going to be one that I'm going to be listening back to. When I did a pre-interview with you about a month ago, I remember you saying that success comes with consistency over a long period of time. I wrote that down. I put quote marks around it. I was like, that's fucking awesome. But you actually said that first when we were talking about photography. You know, we've yeah. been we've been talking about that concept in the course or in the context of your training and improving at climbing throughout this whole conversation. But I think you first said that to me um, in the context of photography and that part of the process is just showing up and you you have this very similar, seemingly very similar, very thoughtful kind of like, playing the long game, punch the clock sort of approach to your art um, that you have mm -hmm. with your climbing, which I think is just really cool. So let's let's wrap up with with that a little bit. Um, how did you get started in, in photography and, and what does your photography mean to you? Because, you know, you're a route setter and you mentioned also that you have spent some time as a, a freelancer, but I remember you saying that you really do feel like it's your career um I, yeah. I, yeah so i'm curious to hear what it means to you and and what it looks like as far as a part of your life right now to me like my, i mean my photography is it's my art form and art to me is just a part of my personality it's just a part of who i am and it has been for the last six years to almost a decade so yeah like client like i i feel like a lot of your audience and probably most of the people on Instagram or stuff that know me, know me more as an athlete. Um, but like art and photography at this point is like just as much a part of my life um, as athletics is, if not almost a more impactful part of my life, just because it's more of a, a lucrative career path. Um, but yeah, it's like my, my photography is very, very, very dear to who I am as a person. And I think of like a very different expression of who I am as a person and the way that I see the world uh, in my artistic lens. So it means like, it means a lot to me. Um, yeah. 
Should I say, should I talk about like how I got into photography too? Um, tell me about moody Russian painters. How does that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That how can... does that fit into um, photography? Yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of how I've ended up where I am as a photographer right now. Um, so before I was a photographer in high school, again, I was um, I was really, really, really into oil painting, and that was kind of like the art form that I focused on the most uh, in high school. And that was kind of like I would say my years oil painting. Even though I wouldn't say I was a specifically great oil painter because I lacked the uh, intention and <laughs> like discipline to finish paintings, um, but my motivation like came a lot actually from like these really moody Russian oil paintings. I probably couldn't even name like put an actual name to any Russian oil painter, but I would just like spend time on Google, just like scrolling through pictures of like these moody ass landscapes <laughs> um i for some reason that was like i was just like attracted to that and i wanted like whatever i was doing to kind of like have that feel in this mood and maybe it was a reflection of just i was kind of sad and miserable in high school so i was just attracted to these <laughs> depressing looking landscapes um but those years i think in that context and i had other inspiration too but um I kind of refined my artistic lens a lot and just like, oh, this is like, this is how I like to express uh, like my artistic perspective and kind of just like gaining this sense of lighting and colors that I like. Um, and I've, that were like a part of my art form. Um, so yeah, that was like, uh, there was like two or three years of that phase of just like getting really into that style of art. And then when I like stopped oil painting as much and eventually got into photography, at first I was kind of like really looking at photography way more through a like commercially, um, I don't know, I was just attracted to like, I was had my inspiration sources coming from more of the like big name photographers in the outdoor industry. Um, and I had like other inspiration on the side, but I wouldn't have considered like, my more artistic inspiration like a core part of my photography at that point i was really like okay i want to like turn my photography into something like that's a career so i had inspiration coming from the people that i could see who were doing that in the outdoor industry but eventually i just like found that like that wasn't fulfilling to me i was like i don't really care to take photos <laughs> as much in the outdoor industry that much anymore i like wasn't fulfilling my artistic passion and i think it was partly because I was also becoming a climber and an athlete in the outdoor industry. So I was just like, like I already get so much time and energy. I give so much time and energy to the outdoor space. Like having my photography be that too, was just like overload and ignoring my artist side of myself. Um, so I was just like, I want to yeah, take like the photos that I want to create and like really start to develop my artistic lens that i had in high school and somehow in incorporate that into my photography a little bit more um so yeah i feel like my photography took like a much moodier turn a little a lot more niche and uh expressive i would say um, yeah of like who i feel like i am and how i see the world i suppose yeah i mean it comes through i think that's why i wanted to talk about it is because I don't know. We just, we live in a strange time and and this is not to take away from any of the amazingly talented 
photographers out there because there's there's so many of you um and i've had many of them on the show and there's you know there's there's really good climbing photography and then there's people that climb that have a camera that are willing to jug up a rope you know so not every it, yeah. it is a skill obviously and there's some amazing people um, but you really stood out to me seeing your photography and seeing your instagram uh, photography page because i was like whoa this this is this is its own thing. Like, this is different. Yeah. This is interesting. It's, it's portraits, but there's motion. There's like, there's style. There's, it, it felt artistic. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, this is an interesting combination. So. I feel um, flattered that it captured your attention. Yeah, no. Yeah. I just, I just find people interesting, man. I, I love um, talking about climbing, obviously, but it's, it's just so rare that someone like you who has the, who can bring the kind of thoughtfulness and intention to your climbing that you do. Um, it's so rare that someone like that is just a one dimensional person that only has one interest, right? Like it's, it's way more often that people like you, um, I mean, you're, you're unique, whatever, but people that are really good at stuff are usually really good at multiple things. And I always find that really interesting to explore how that kind of expresses in their life and the different yeah. ways that it shows up. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're all just, multifaceted you know we all have lots of different sides to ourselves so yeah and it's it's interesting too because like i feel like where my photography is was kind of a way for me to uh i don't know feel a lot more whole as an individual just because i've always struggled with especially in i feel like in high school it's like you generally have the breakdown of like you have your jocks over here who are like you know sporty and cool and then you have your like people that are into drama and art over here you know it's like those two groups don't normally merge and in high school like those two groups didn't really merge either it's like i had my art friends and my art friends didn't really interact with my sport friends like mm. they're two different groups of people and i think what initially excited me about the climbing world was i was like well these groups of people can be the same thing like mm have artists and athletes doing like it together oh, that's, that's awesome but then i realized that i had to like sacrifice my artistic lens to do that mm -hmm. and i was like mm -hmm. oh this isn't as uh fulfilling as i thought um but yeah i feel like just like allowing myself the space to be like this is who i am as an artist and this is kind of the direction i want to go as an artist and i'm also an athlete um, and vice versa was just like finally being able to express those things about myself in a much more complete way mm. um, super cool and super fulfilling and yeah and it's i feel like landing on portraiture was also a strange unexpected thing i didn't see myself doing um but was also kind of a way of like feeling whole and just like being able to connect with people through my art form of like we're, what's really interesting about taking photos of someone it's like it's a collaboration you know it's like people are always like, oh, I'm not photogenic. And it's like, well, maybe you just haven't had someone like sit down and work with you to actually get a really good photo. Mm. And that process is like really fulfilling for me because it's using art to actually interact and get to know and understand and share space with someone, which is really special. It's awesome, man. I love it. It's so cool that you have like a 20 year view with it. I mean, I remember you saying that like this is, you're thinking of it as your passion, as your career, the thing you want to do with your life, you know, maybe as much or even more than climbing, um, looking at the whole arc of your life. And you're not, you don't seem stressed about trying to make it the main thing right now. And I think that's such a mature and patient um, 
lens to be looking at yeah. this through. It's and so cool. I would say it's like, it's not that I don't want it to be the main thing. Like I completely like, like I want it to make enough money that I don't need to be <laughs> route setting as quickly as possible. Um, but I think the, like the long-term perspective for me is mainly like, there's no need to rush perfection. Like this desire for, I think a lot of people get stuck up on like, it has to be perfect right now. You know, like my career needs to fully blossom overnight and I need to be like everything that I should be right now. So like, no, like trust the process. And it's like, I, every time I do a photo shoot, I learn something new about myself. And it's like, I don't like have this need to be like, I need to perfect my art form right now. It's just like, no, I just need to do my art form right now, mm. you know, and over the years, I'll find a level of mastery and perfection through just continuing to do my art form, mm. you know, and I'm sure that that process will also lead to a more stable career slash financial and lucrative business, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it's, it's in a way, it's all the same things you said about how you're approaching your climbing. And it seems like that's the real theme of, of this conversation. Um, the things that really stand out to me are just, God, you're such an athlete. You're so much more of an athlete than most climbers, you know? And I think that's, that's just really cool. It's really, uh, like I said, you know, like I said at the start, and I've said a couple of times, um, that's what made me so interested to talk to you. It's been really refreshing to talk to you and just hear your perspective and and bringing all the thoughtfulness of years of soccer to the sport of climbing. And um, this has been awesome, man. I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been a blast. I remember in our pre-interview, I asked you what would make you feel proud of this episode. And you said, just showing up and being real. I feel like we accomplished that. Do you feel like we accomplished I think that? So. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I feel like I just said, or I've only said things that I feel like are true to myself. So that makes me happy. Anything that you feel like we missed that feels important to talk about before I let you go? Uh, no, nothing super important. I feel like we hit a lot of different things that were yeah. all good. Yeah. Okay. So let's wrap up with this. I really love to end conversations with this question. What is something you wish people spent more time thinking about? Yeah. Uh, well, I did have to think about this one actually quite a bit because I just had so many answers flood to my head all at once. And honestly, none of them were really like, this is the one thing I wish everyone talked about. Um, but for some reason, this answer kind of stuck around and it's totally unrelated to everything we've talked about. But I feel like it's kind of been a conversation me and my partner have been having a lot. I really wish people paid more attention to generational like trauma and how we can prevent cyclical issues from reoccurring. Oh, wow. I just wish that was like, a global conversation that was like really ingrained into our education system. And like everyone had to like take a course of like, Hey, this is like what generational trauma is. This is what cycles are. This is how history repeats itself. And most often it's passed down from parent to child. Mm. <laughs> and Like we need to understand those dynamics in order to progress as a society so that we can continue to raise people that have dealt with their issues and the issues that happened in their childhood and their past parents generation 
and not prevent that from happening again. <laughs> um, I wish everyone would talk about this a wow. lot more. And I feel like our generation, the younger generation, is like coming around to these ideas a lot more just because, especially like I feel like the last years, at least as social media have kind of been like blowing up with these types of concepts. But I, at large, I honestly still feel like it's very not talked about. It's kind of contained inside certain bubbles. Um, I think I just happen to have a community that's kind of in one of those bubbles. So I feel like it's talked about a lot, but I think at large, it's really not. Um, but yeah, that's like one thing I wish people would pay a lot more attention to and, and be very self-critical with it of being like, what were the things that happened in my life that dramatically impact the way that I function mm. and that I might like might pass on to my kids in a negative sense, you know, it's yeah. like, these are my triggers. These are my insecurities. And whenever I interact with someone else, I'm going to display these insecurities in some way. And especially if you have at some point kids, it's like, they're directly going to latch on to whatever your insecurities on, or they're directly going to latch on to your anger issues or your like, Nar narcissism or your you know whatever it is it's like people learn that and then regurgitate it and need to find ways to address that and kind of learn how to heal ourselves from whatever our issues are before we have a next generation of people that do the same thing that we did Oh, I love it, man. That's one of my favorite answers I've ever gotten for that question. So, um, really appreciate the thoughtfulness you put it, you put into that. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember kind of having an epiphany in my mid twenties and I, I'm kind of experiencing like a second, probably not second, probably many, I've had many waves, but a, a new wave of this just in the last couple of years, you know, like examining this on new levels and in new depth. Um, but I remember in my mid twenties, I just kind of realized like, wow, we really inherit so many things from our parents and from our culture yeah. and from the the way that we grow up, the people around us, the community. And I'm talking about like beliefs. I'm talking about behaviors. I'm talking about worldviews. I'm talking about assumptions. Yeah. And seriously, everything. Everything. Yeah. It's all programming. And you really get to decide, like you inherit all those things, but you get to decide what you keep. And yeah. um takes a long time to even discover what all those things are and for sure yeah, and it's a like, lifelong journey i think that's like i feel like the two common things are one is just like people don't discover what those things are and are just doing it subconsciously and that's why it's like so easy to pass stuff on because it's just subconscious you don't even know of it and the second thing that i feel like is really common is people see a couple bad things their parents do and try and do like the exact opposite. But generally the exact opposite is not a healthier option. <laughs> it's like my parents were, you know, super disciplinarian. So I just do whatever the fuck I want to all the time. And not that like, that's a very extreme case, you know? Um, but it's just like, okay, now you're, you're kind of just like regurgitating what they did in another negative light that you're going to pass on to your kids. And they're going to be like, well, my parents like had no structure and like, I didn't get any, you know, <laughs> like sense of discipline or whatever and that they just go swing the opposite way. And then they're back to exactly where their grandparents were. And <laughs> did not solve the issue. This just like, you know, tried to dodge it by doing another negative thing. So it's kind of like, we actually have to 
make ourselves aware of what these processes are and then be like, okay, how do I not just run from this, but how do I heal myself first? And then take into account how I can actually live life in a whole healthy manner that doesn't allow this to be passed on. Mm. Yeah. I love it. Kaleb, thank you. <laughs> really appreciated the conversation. Thank of you. course. Yeah, my yeah. pleasure. It's been it's been really fun to to get to know you a little bit and and um really grateful for the time. Where can yeah. people find you and what what's next for you? What are you excited about right now? Um well first people can find me. I guess the easiest way to find me is just on Instagram, um at underscore Kaleb Robinson with two N's. Kaleb is spelled like Caleb, C-A-L-E-B. I know that's confusing. Um but yeah, that's like the easiest place to find me. Um, I check my DMs very frequently. So if you DM me, there's a good chance I'll see it. Um, and then what's next for me? Honestly, right now, it's kind of just a lot of work, just working full time and also trying to like figure out what the next year of like photography work and athlete stuff looks like for me. Um, I have a trip coming up to California just for the... Uh, the little mountain hardware like athlete summit and i'll hopefully be like doing a couple things in the spring but nothing too much nothing crazy i don't okay. have any like big trips planned yet or anything are you going to be in salt lake in mid-february by chance probably okay i'm going to be heading up there at some point around then to uh, go back to grasshopper and climb on the, the new 12 by 12 set and check out the new holds and stuff yeah um and yeah, that place is super cool. And I need more photos. I need some portraits. And it would be super fun if you have the bandwidth for it to uh, to link up with you. Yeah, um, that would actually be super fun. I'm hope hopefully by mid-February, I'm currently renting a studio with my partner and another friend. And hopefully I'll have like a full studio equipment set up with like lighting and backdrops and stuff to be able to do like portraitures, portraits whenever. Um, so if I have that set up, that would be super sick to have you swing through and see the space. Cool. Yeah, All right. I'll, so. I'll stay in touch with you about it. And uh, for now, I'll let you go. I've kept you for way too long. Really appreciate yeah, your time. You too. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're, are you at the same time zone as me right now? I'm in mountain time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're both. We're it's both getting late. Into the night, but yeah. 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 This was a pleasure, man. Yeah, for me too. For me too. Really enjoyed it. And uh, for everyone listening, I will link to all things Kaleb Robinson in the show notes for this episode at thenuggetclimbing.com. So be sure to check that out. Thank you all for tuning in as always. And we will see you next time. All right. Thank you, man. Yeah. Peace. Bye, everybody. Move, move, the Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13.